Well, good morning, everybody. Man, can I get a big amen for how good of a day it is to be in church today? Man, it's awesome to be with you, but also, can we give a hand for that worship set that we just had today and that new song, I Speak Jesus? Man, I'm back in the back, and like I'm like, I don't even need to preach. Like That was church just here today. We've got a great worship team that just gets us, gets us really ready for the Word of God, and I believe God's given us a word for today. So if this is your first time here, we're glad you're here. And what we do every week, we have a campus that meets in Branchville Correctional Facility, so I want all of us to welcome our guys at Branchville today. It's great to be here with you guys. I believe in big things God's going to do in your life today. Now, we're in week three of our Take the Hills series, and we've been exploring the life of Abraham and how his life can model our own lives and how we pursue God and how we set ourselves up uh, to live by his priorities and live by what he says is right, true, and best for our lives. And so this Take the Hills campaign, again, just to kind of reiterate what we have here, is we've got a two-year campaign that started two weeks ago. And we are going to be really attacking God's mission for us at the Hills Church with what we call Take the Hills. Because we believe wholeheartedly God has put two hills, two missions in front of us that it's our job to take. And the first one is we are going to be funding the Lifeblood, which is the everyday ministry that happens here at the Hills Church. So we're going to be funding our general budget for the next two years to the tune of $2.7 million. That's two years budget to make sure that we continue to do the everyday ministry and life change that God does through the Hills Church. Now, the second hill that we're taking is our, pro- our property there on Green River Road across Menards that Daryl talked about, building the building that is going to get us from this lease space. I love Old National, and I love our landlord for our office. However, there are tons of constraints by leasing that we, that we really uh, want to get free of so that we can really be used by God in this community and across the globe. And so we are taking these two hills, and I just want you to be honest. I want to be honest with you. Like, this, these two hills are huge priorities. However, they are not the main priority. They are not the one thing that we are going after. The one thing we're going after is 100% participation in the mission that God has here. Because I'll be honest, if somebody came today and handed me a check for $4.7 million, I would take that check, and I would cash it because I'm not crazy, okay? However... However, we would 100% continue on for the next two years going after what God has for us so that we can all be changed by what God is doing in and through us over the next two years. Because I believe wholeheartedly it's going to be pretty awesome. And I'm excited to be a part of this journey. Now, it's a two-year journey, but to be honest, it starts today. Now, it, didn't, it started two weeks ago, but we can't go back and change two weeks ago. So we got to start today and look ahead and say, God, what do you have for me today? And what do you have for me tomorrow? Where do you want me to be heading? We've been working through the life of Abram. Abraham, right now in his life, he hasn't got his name changed yet, so he goes by Abram. If you've got your Bibles or Bible app, you can turn into uh, Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to read that whole chapter here in a minute. But one of the things that happens throughout Scripture is God puts certain stories of of men, puts stories of their lives together for a reason, to highlight something. 
When he puts two stories of people together, he wants us to compare and contrast their stories, see what's similar between them, and also to see the differences so that we can learn another element, another depth, than if we just read their story alone. And here in Genesis 13, we have one of these situations where we have the story of Abram is continuing. However, we also see the introduction of Lot and a little more of his story that we're going to be able to see the contrast, some similarities, not as many, but the similarities and contrast between their two priority systems. And so we're going to read, I've got a lot to go over today, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole chapter here, and then we're going to kind of dive back in and out of the text and take some priorities and some principles for ourselves out of it. So this is a long section, so what I need you to do is I need you to just imagine like whosever voice you would want to read the phone book to you, whether it's Morgan Freeman, whether it's, it's like uh, you know Trace Adkins or any of those guys, I want you to imagine their voice rather than my nasally skinny guy voice reading all of this so that we can all be in our happy place and hear the word. But uh, let's tune in here to 13 verse 1 and let's follow along together. It says, so Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. And this was the same place where Abram had built the altar. And there he worshiped the Lord again. Now, quick snapshot, this is Genesis 13. Last week, Daryl talked about Genesis 12, where Abram had headed out and he went down to Egypt and made some pretty dumb decisions about kind of taking his wife, Sarai, and telling people she was his sister. Guys, if you ever think there's like one rule that you can apply across your entire life, never pass your wife off as your sister. You can tattoo that on your arm. It always applies, okay? It never plays that well. But how do we know that? Because Abraham tried it, okay? And it didn't go well. So here we go into verse chapter 13, and he's coming out of that. And we see he goes back to a place where he had met God before, back to Bethel. He had built an altar there because he had had an interaction with God. And it says he went back there and he worshiped. Now pick up in verse 5. It says, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the Lord could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And at the time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. So not only was Lot and Abram's herds growing, God was blessing them, but they also had other people in the region who wanted to use the pasture land. And so it was getting kind of tight. All right. So finally, Abram said to Lot, now let's not allow this conflict conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. So take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, I'll take the land on the left. Now Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor, the whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. 
He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, which is right around Israel, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinning against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look, as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west, that's important because he also includes the area that Lot went to in this blessing. He says, I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. And so Abram moved his camp to Hebron, and he settled near the oak grove belonging belonging to Mamre. And there he built another altar to the Lord. We've got Abram's story here. And one of the things that we see very clearly, we've talked about the last two weeks, is God very clearly called Abram to do, like, to be a part of what God was doing. He very clearly said, now, Abram, I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your father's land, and I want you to go to the land that I am going to show to you. Now, that sounds great. However, if maybe if you're in high school, just imagine with me that your friend texted you and said, hey, I want you to leave your parents' house. I want you to leave your parents, and I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you, and we're going we're gonna to go have a party. Where would you go? I mean, I mean, do you have anything that you can go by? No. One of the ways that God's works is, is so hard to understand sometimes is the fact he gives us clear priorities or clear kind of nudges in one direction, but he doesn't give us step-by-step instructions because if he did that, he would just be just be a dictator saying, do this, do that, don't do this, do that, and then forcing us to take every step. However, he gives us free will and the freedom to choose what we're going to be doing. Now, God operates in a a really cool way, and one way that we see that mirrored just in the world is through our military. I don't know if I mentioned this book before in the the book Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willink. I was reading this uh, probably a week and a half ago. He talks about decentralized command. Now, Jocko was was uh, an upper ranking officer in the SEAL teams, and he had many uh, officers underneath him that reported to him. And what he said is he would often give a, uh, he would often give a directive, a task, and then he, he expected his leaders to operate within the rules of engagement, knowing the objectives that they had in order to accomplish their mission. And he didn't dictate every step that they took. However, he trained his leaders in a way that he trusted them to do what they needed to do to handle the circumstances that came up in order to accomplish the objectives while not going outside of the parameters that he had set. And what he would do is, as a mission would succeed or fail, they would come back around, they would evaluate how did it go, and they would see what went well and what didn't go well, where they needed more training, where he could be an encouragement, all of those things. And we see that kind of play out here with Abraham. So Abram in, verse, in chapter 12 had made some pretty dumb decisions in Egypt. And here he comes out of Egypt. And the first thing he does, he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to where my superior officer was. I'm going to go back to where I met with him last. And I'm going to put myself in front of him and say, what do I do next? And so he goes back to Bethel. He goes back to the altar and he says, God, what do I do? He worships him and he waits to hear 
what God has for him. And, I mean, you can imagine this. Like, this is one of those things that, uh, I mean, maybe you're not like me, but I've had those times where I've just asked God to get me out of the mess that I'm in. I've gotten myself into a mess, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. God, if you will get me out of this mess, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life. Now, honestly, I've said that before, and here I am, a pastor now. So be careful when you say that, because he's going to kind of hold you to what you, what you put in front of him. But this, this verse is kind of the same thing. Abraham, Abraham got himself into a mess, and he goes back, and he's like, God, thank you for getting me out of the mess. I'm here what do you want me to do? And so God continues to bless him as he's in Bethel and I. He continues to bless Abram and Lot so that they continue to grow in the region. But Abram and Lot get into a crossroads because they've grown too much for the land to kind of sustain what they, the growth and the blessings that they have. So it's time for them to make some decisions. And honestly, in chapter 13, Abram could have legit just said, all right, nephew, I love you, but it's time for you to stop mooching. You're like, get out of my basement, go find your own place, send me a Christmas card. He could have done that. Well, he didn't, okay? He's much better than than I am. He could have also said something to the effect of like, hey, you know what, I'm the patriarch of this family. I taught you everything you needed to know. I've, I've helped you grow wealthy. Now just get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. He could have done that and been within his rights of the patriarch of the family to take care of what he had grown and, and what he had built for himself, all the herds and the herdsmen that he had gathered. Like It was a lot of wealth that he had amassed. But Abram didn't do that. Abram made the this kind of strange decision to allow the lesser man in the relationship, which would be Lot, his nephew, it's not even like his brother, it's not even his son, it's his brother's son, he gives him the chance to say, hey, look, you know what? I'll give you the chance to pick the best and whatever you want. I'll give you the chance. And it seems kind of crazy to me because the guy who's got everything opened it up so that he could lose everything, really. But I think that Abram, I think he knew something that oftentimes we as adults often forget. And I think we've got to kind of get back to the mind of kind of a child as we, as we look at our relationship with, with God. And I, I'm reminded of a, of a story of a young boy named Jeffrey who went into the barbershop. He goes into the barbershop. He loves his barber. He's kind of a grandfatherly type. And little Jeffrey gets his hair cut and jumps down off the chair. And the, the barber comes up and he's got a basket full of dum-dum suckers. And he says, here, Jeffrey. You just grab a handful, a big old handful, and you take which, what you can grab. And, well, Jeffrey just sits there with the shy eye look and doesn't really take them, you know. And little barber, the barber comes, and he's like, here, just hold out your hands. And he takes his hand, and he, he puts a whole handful of suckers, and Jeffrey just takes two handfuls and puts them in his pockets and heads out to the car. And as he gets to the car, his mom goes, Jeffrey, why didn't you take those, all those suckers for yourself? You could have just reached in there. And Jeffrey just looked at her with a half smile, and he said, Mom, his hands are a lot bigger than mine. <laughs> I think perhaps Abram dealt generously with Lot because he knew God's hands were much bigger than his, and he'd always been taking what God had been giving him rather than grabbing for himself. What we see and what we're going to see as we turn to Lot's perspective, we're going to see that Abram's priorities 
kind of led to choices that were based on a growing trust, a a growing dependence on God, and and they resulted in prosperity, in blessing, and also in closeness with God because we continue to see these altars pop up where Abram has said, God met me here, God showed up. I always want to remember how God was faithful in this time. So I'm gonna build an altar here in Bethel. I'm gonna build an altar here. I'm gonna worship God here. I'm gonna worship God here. He, He continues to grow this relationship and dependence upon God, and it's, it's really pretty awesome. But again, these stories are here so that we can compare the similarities, but also the, the differences. And so turning our attention to Lot, we're going to see that Lot's choices, his priorities, they led to kind of an eroding away of his moral compass and really the disintegration of, of, of his family. In contrast to Abram, what we see with Lot is we see that Lot prioritized the riches that he could see with his eyes. Lot should have said, when when Abram came to him and said, hey, look, you know what? You can pick whatever you want, young man. Lot should have said, you know what, uncle? You took me in when you didn't have to. And you, you not only gave me a roof over my head where I could have just been your servant, You taught me the trade. You taught me how to grow herds. You taught me how to manage people. You helped me to grow wealth. Therefore, I'm going to act generously out of of what you've done. I'm going to return the favor. And I want you, uncle, to have the best part of the land. It's what he should have done. However, it's not what he did. If you look at what Lot did, he really wanted the best right out of the gate. He wanted to get while the getting's good. He saw the basket of dum-dums, and he's like, how do I get as many dum-dums into my pocket? And so we look in, in chapter 13, verse 10. We look, it says, it says, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. Have you ever looked on Zillow and looked at houses? And you've taken way too long of a look at some house on there. That's so much you can't get the image out of your mind. You just want that house. I haven't done it with Zillow, but I've certainly done it with AutoTrader. Once you see that and you take a long look and you allow that to continue to fester and ruminate inside your head, you can't get your mind away from it. It says, the whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. It literally compares it to the garden of Eden, a place on earth that is as close to heaven as there will ever be. That's how long he looked at it and how bad he wanted it. Now, the priority in his mind could have been, like, I want to take care of my clan and continue to take care of those who serve me, who are a part of my house But more than likely, this long look at the fertile plain was more about comfort, dollar signs, continuing to grow that which he has, continuing to be more more wealthy. And if I'm being honest, I would struggle with that choice. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, look, I'm going to give you you, uh, a house on the Ohio River. It's a trailer. Uh, you, can pick, you can take that. Or I'm going to give you a, you know, a mansion out in Lake of the Ozarks on a 50-acre sprawling you know, plantation that's going to provide for all your needs. I would have, like, seriously, a real problem making the two choices because I know which one I would want to pick. And I think that probably uh, all of us would would have that problem because we'd want to be taking care of our own. 
And I think that's kind of normal. I think that's a normal reaction that Lot had, and I think many of us would, would say that we, we want to take care of our people. We want the best for our family. I certainly want the best for Sandy and my boys. I would want to give them the best opportunity. However, the hard part in this situation is Lot's choice was at the expense of his uncle. He's essentially saying, uncle, I want the best, and sorry, but you're going to have to work to use the land that you're going to take. I want to prioritize myself first and, and you second. The one who's been most generous with me, I, I'm going to prioritize you second. The end of verse 10 gives me a little interesting aside as I think about what, what Lot was using to make this decision and the fact that he was using only the, the capacities he had, his eyeballs to look at the, the land. At the end of verse 10, it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, this is what's called a parenthetical reference. And yes, I had to look that up in a grammar book so I could sound smart to you. But the whole point of parenthetical references is to set something aside in a story so that we pay attention to it. Now, you could say that, they, that the writer put this in here because he wanted future readers to look back and to know where it was they were talking about. It was where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. However, I also know that God puts these stories together so that we pay attention to the details and I have to imagine that God put this detail because Lot used his eyes and saw a fertile plain. However, if he had gone in front of God and said, God, what do you see? God, what do you think I should choose in this situation? I have a feeling that God would have said, Lot, I know it looks good, but don't go there because that's not going to be there much longer. But we never see that Lot actually went before the Lord and said, hey, what do I do in this situation? We never see he had that devotional moment like Abram where he presented himself to God. I don't know who said it, but there's a famous quote that says, a man who is weak in his devotion and worldly in his desires, his decisions will inevitably be wrong. We don't see any kind of devotional life where Lot actually approaches God and says, what, is, what do you say is right and true and best for my life? Now, there's one line in the next verse that really highlights Lot's perspective. It said, he chose for himself. And we see that line and we realize that Lot prioritized self-interest over generosity. He had a perfect opportunity to deal fairly with his uncle, not only deal fairly, but to deal generously with someone who had been so overwhelmingly generous to him. But he got distracted by the green pastures and the fresh water ahead of him. He didn't pause to thank the one who had given him the choice. He didn't pause to, to approach God. He didn't do any of that. And this is a big highlighting of the fact that there's a tangible world that you and I can touch and feel and see, and then there's a spiritual world where Satan loves to get in and, and really work. Both of these worlds are at play, but we see very clearly here that Lot was distracted, and that's where Satan got a foothold in his life. 
And it allowed to take his priorities, it allowed him to take his priorities and seem good, but shift them just a little bit off of the foundation that Abram had been trying to build. In 2 Peter, we see that Lot was a righteous man. He says Lot was a righteous man who was tormented by the sins around him. So we know he knew God. He wouldn't have reckoned him righteous if he didn't. However, he was tormented by the sins, which meant he had gotten himself in too far and out of his priorities. And while Lot's life looked good on the outside, he was slipping down a dangerous slope. And I think many of us can, what that might look like today, just imagine with me, maybe, maybe those of us who have a job, who have a job that's really just kind of wrecking our family. I had a conversation with someone last week who, you know, their job was paying well. It was really good, it paid well, but, but it was really destroying uh, their, their spouse and their children. And I've been in that spot where I've put way too much emphasis for a little bit of notoriety, some money, maybe some bigger toys, and, and we, our family, had to suffer the consequences of that. And that's where we prioritize our self-interest over living generously, just even within our family. Now, for Lot, the decision to move his priorities was, was, was not like he just stepped off a cliff and like all of a sudden perished. No, it was, this, it was this slow decline, slow demise, slow eroding away of what he knew was right for his life. And I believe wholeheartedly that an old Lot who's preparing to die looked back on his life and had lots of regrets about what he could have done and what he should have done. When Lot and his family went and settled in Sodom, we see in Genesis chapter 19 that he, he sits at the gates of the city. He's a leader in this city. He was trying to lead his family and his city well. However, the problem became that where Lot wanted to have an influence on Sodom, Sodom had a bigger influence on him. And his family paid the price. And for some of us, maybe that's our job where we just need to reprioritize what is destroying our lives. And just hitting close to, close to home, I, I just this is like a conversation I had in my mind. For some of us, we love our children, but we allow our children's priorities to drive our life. And this may land heavy on some of you, but it did for me, so I'm, I'm not sorry, but we just need to think about these things. Like kids' sports, okay? This year, this semester is like the busiest we've ever been with kids' sports, and sports are great. I love sports. They teach a lot of, you know, sportsmanship and working together on a team, that kind of stuff. For some, like for me, it actually paid for most of my college. It was really awesome. It was a blessing. It helped me to get a better education. That's awesome. However, we think that little, little Tommy is going to be the next Steph Curry. And it may be a little far-fetched, Okay. Now, I'm always going to encourage my boys to be a part of sports. However, what I want us as parents and our priorities to realize, for as much effort we put into our kids' sports, we need to put more effort into their eternity so that, that one day when they're 40 and they're laying down because of a ruptured Achilles trying to live out their glory days, they realize that the bigger thing is, do you know Jesus? That's where our priorities need to lie. Now, the one thing that, uh, that we see from Lot's story is that God sets up this world for re uh, sowing and reaping. We, we reap the consequences that we, that we, from our actions. And one thing we see is that while we're free to set our own priorities, we can say what we want to do. We are not, or we must also accept where our priorities will lead us. What that means is we can set our choices, 
But the law of the world that we live in is our, there are consequences for every choice. Some good, some, some bad. And for Lot, we see that there are future costs to prioritizing our own self-interest over pursuing God above all else. This was made really clear this past week. Uh, uh, part of our team went last Sunday over to downtown. Let's picture up. Uh, so we're going to put a picture up here. So last week we went downtown to see the 420 main building get imploded. It was, it was pretty exhilarating to be down there. There were several hundred people down there. We watched. I videoed it. It was pretty cool. But it was exhilarating, but it was also eerie as I sat there. And the really weird thing is it wasn't just me that had this eerie feeling about it. I talked to Gio and Josh, a couple of our production guys, and I actually got a letter from a guy yesterday, Bill, who's watching online right now, kind of explaining what he kind of felt in his spirit as he was watching this building get imploded. And so what I did is I went and I started just exploring what is it that causes these buildings to implode? Because what I would imagine is like they just like load up tons of dynamite like Wiley Coyote style. They just go pack in dynamite and light a fuse and run and then it blows up and falls down. It's actually much more sophisticated than that, if you would imagine. Uh, but here's one of the things that I really found really interesting. All throughout all the things that I read, the biggest force that they rely upon to bring a building down is not the explosives. It's not the charging cable that they use. It's not tearing out the non-load-bearing walls. It's none of that. The largest force that they rely on to bring a building down is actually gravity. The most effort they put into these buildings coming down is putting the charges, the explosives, in just the right spot in, our, in the foundation to weaken it just enough so that gravity has its effect on the building and it falls straight down. They know exactly how gravity works. They know the consequences of gravity. They just got to put the charges in the right spot. When we think of Lot's life, I think this is a great example because Lot on the outside, look, he was building wealth. He was building herds. He looked like he had it all together, just like this building. If you didn't know it, that building looks like a perfectly healthy building other than the sign that says we're about to blow it up. But it looks like a perfectly healthy building, but there's been charges placed, the foundation at just the right spot. Just like Lot's life, he goes to Sodom, but all of his decisions lead him, lead him to making, slipping his priorities away to where there's a point where he's trying to tell his family what God is telling him, and they actually laugh at him because his priorities that he's saying do not line up with the priorities that he's talking about. And eventually, it all comes crashing down. When we move our priorities, when Satan moves our priorities, gravity and consequences will have its effect. Check this out. Pretty crazy to think just two little charges coming, one on one side, one on the other, brings it all down because of the consequences of gravity. And that's, the, that's an illustration of Lot's life and what it is to put our priorities in the wrong spot. But these stories are together because we can also pick some from Abram's life that shows us there's, there's, a, better, there's a better choice out there. 
And we see that Abraham, Abraham or Abram, he did something different. Abram prioritized the kingdom of God. We see that from his choices to remember God when he went back to Bethel. We see that in his choices to worship God when God rescues him. We see that in his choices when Lot, his consequences start playing out and his entire clan gets captured. Uh, Abram goes and rescues him and God blesses him with, with tons of money and tons of wealth. And Abram chooses in Genesis 14, the next chapter, on his way back from getting all this wealth, he stops by this priest named Melchizedek and he gives 10% of everything that God blessed him and said, this is for you to continue doing what God's doing in this world. Because Melchizedek was a priest of the time. He was the representative of God in the world. Now today in the New Testament, New Testament era and today, that is the church. We see that the church is the place that, is, that preaches the message of Jesus, of life change, of, that teaches people how to follow Jesus and to live like him, and then also meets needs in the community. And here, here at the Hills Church, honestly, God has blessed us. And it would be very easy for us just to sit on our hands and say, hey, look, we've baptized you know, over 100 people. We've, we've got over 1,000 people that come on a weekend. Man, we could just sit and just ride that into the sunset. However, here at the Hills Church, one of the things that we are passionate about is reaching those who are far from Jesus with his life-changing message of forgiveness. We're on a mission to win people to Jesus, to train people to follow him, and then also to send everyone out to tell other people about the one who can take away our sins. And we're never going to shy away from that. That is going to be a priority where we put God first. And honestly, I think most of us in our heart of hearts, we want to be generous. Like we want to put God first. But what happens is we either A, think we're nailing it, so we never examine it, or we just don't know where to start. So for the, these last few minutes, I just want to give you two diagnostic questions that I want you to go home and talk to your spouse about, talk to your significant other, your accountability partner, whoever might be in your life, you can talk about these things. I want you to ask these two questions. One, the first one is, what is first in your decisions? There's statistics that tell us that we make 70 decisions a day, every day, every day of our life for the rest of our life. So I've got like another two and a half million decisions to make if God keeps me around that long. But the, the fact is that in every decision, every one of those, something comes first. Whether it's your kids, your spouse, your job, maybe God. Maybe God legit is the first thing you approach, but maybe is it like some, some past regret that maybe kind of sneaks in and says, you can do better, uh, you can have more, you can, you can really grow your notoriety. There's, there's always something that sneaks in. And that's why God asks us to ask this question. That's why Jesus has to tell us something. Like in Matthew 6, it says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Asking God first, just like Abram, God, what do you want me to do? He may not give you a step-by-step -step map, but he's going to point you in the right direction. If you've never tried what it looks like to like approach God or don't even know like about God or who God is and you want to know more, I want to encourage you. Uh, we're going to put our rooted sign-ups. It's a 10-week class to help you kind of figure out what that is. We're going to put those up. I want you to sign up for rooted starting January. It's a great way to help you ask that question. There's another diagnostic question I want you to look at, and it says, does God get the first and best of all that you receive? 
we see Abram prioritize his 10% of his earnings to Melchizedek. And the, the fact is, you, you can't get away from this whether you want to deny it or not. Something gets your first and your best every month. Whether it's Evansville Teachers Federal Credit Union, whether it's Expressway Dodge, whether it's the next year's vacation fund, something gets your first and your best. And that says a lot about your priorities. And honestly, I've kind of struggled with this thing because here's the thing, like I've, I've, I'm prideful in this, but I wouldn't say at all that I prioritize things and think like, okay, like I'm gonna get rich with this decision. I've, ne I've never had that thought. However, there has been the thought, if I do this, I, I, I might be able to have a really cooler thing. Or if I do this, I, I bet I could take care of the boys better or I could have more comfort when Murphy's Law comes in and, and wrecks, wrecks my world. Rather than saying, God, what's, what's first and best in, in your world? Sandy and I, we started tithing together uh, back a long time ago. And to be honest, uh, it was something we had to do when we, when we really had to trust God for everything because we didn't have anything else. Like, it's a good thing we had love because we didn't have anything else. Sometimes she was the one driving, no, no, we're doing this giving. And sometimes I was like, hey, let's, let's try a little more. But all in all, the really cool thing is that in that conversation, we've, we've really grown to trust God more. And we're not at a spot, I would say, where we don't, like, we don't have to say, like, do we trust God to provide anymore? We, we now have to ask the question, like, how much do we trust God? Like, at what level do we trust God? And in this season now, as we're looking at Take the Hills, we've known about Take the Hills a little longer than you guys. But we're doing the exact same process we're asking you to do, where we have to commit to pray over something, to say, like, okay, God, what are we going to do? And we have to say, like, what's our priorities? And we have to hold each other accountable for the things that we say are a priority. And for us in our house, what, what Take the Hills looks like, what, what giving more to the Hills Church than we've ever given before looks like is for us, sacri figured out what we're going to sacrifice so that we can put money towards this because we believe wholeheartedly in what God's doing. Sandy's great. I don't, I can't claim any credit for this, but she's great at taking that, that, that plan and taking it and making it very tangible for the boys where we're talking about, okay, guys, we're not gonna be eating out as much over the next two years because we wanna take this money and we wanna put it towards the campaign. So every time we don't go to Chick-fil-A, even though it's the Lord's chicken, that $20, that $20 we would spend is gonna go so that someone would know the Lord. And that's, that's mine and Sandy's story. And you, you need to find your story too. Your story is gonna look unique. There's private things that Sandy and I talk about just with God and each other. And there's things that you need to talk just to God about with you and your spouse. And for some of us, you're gonna do the same thing. We're like, okay, what can we sacrifice that we love for something that God loves more? Some of you are gonna, honestly, I've had conversations with people who are like, you know what? I am gonna try and outgive God. I've got a crazy number in mind. I hope he shows up because I don't know where it's all gonna come from. But they're like, I'm gonna outgive God. But then also I love the conversations with, with those of us who say, you know what? I'm just gonna try trusting him this time and, and see what happens. But that's your story. And I wanna encourage you to present yourself to God 
and to see what he says. And I want you to do two things. On your commitment card that you have that we don't want you to turn in today, I want you to do two things. One, I want you to commit to commit something. A dollar, whatever that looks like. I want you to commit to commit something. And two, I want you to commit to pray over it to present yourself in front of God and say, God, what's your priorities for my life? And then to do what he says. That's between you and God. That's, I have no skin in that game. But I want, to, I want to encourage you to come back December 12th, bring that card, because I do believe we're going to see a watershed moment where we have people who are sacrificing things they've never thought possible so that we can see things, we can see God do things we also never saw, thought possible. Now, one of the things as I was finishing up, I really wanted to speak to the, those of you in the room or online who may be here, and you're hearing this talk about giving, but you're still stuck. You're still stuck realizing that you're more like Lot than Abram. And I want you to know that you are in a safe place. You are in a good place because here's the thing. One of the things I think Lot wished is someone had come up to him and said, dude, this is where your life is going to end. And here's a moment where you have the opportunity to say, God, I don't want my life to look good on the outside, but be taken down in 26 seconds in a pile of pulverized dust. And I want you to know one of the really cool things is Lot, even though his family made a lot of poor decisions, um, God didn't wipe him off the face of the earth. One of his descendants was named Moab. And the Moabites and the Israelites were like oil and water. They were always fighting. They were always just, you know, they had separated from the people of God. But one of the things that where God was faithful to Lot is through the Moabites, he actually grafted those people who were far from God back into the line of Jesus through a woman named Ruth. And he really proved the fact that Romans 8 tells us that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And so I'd like us all to just bow our heads right now online. You can do this, just close your eyes. And if you're here today and you, you would say, I have blown up my life or I'm about to blow up my life. I just need to re, realign with God's priorities. If that's you, I just want you to stick your hand up for a second and I'd love to pray over you today. I see you, I see you. God sees you, yes, I see you. I fully believe there are many of us who are feeling our road, our, our, our lives eroding away. We feel our priorities uh, eroding away and we just want to get them back on course. And I wanna pray over each and every one of you right now as you're in that spot. So join me right now and let's pray. God, God, I know that you've put priorities in this world and you've said what is right and true. And God, whether we are totally in line with your priorities or whether we are way off, God, I know that you always want to bring us back to you, to live out of your priorities and not our own self-interest. And God, for each and every one of us who may have gone astray, God, I pray that you would bring us back to lean onto you, to grow closer in dependence upon you, trust in you so that we can live more in line with what you have for us, so that we can live generous to this world so that others might know your goodness, your provision, and our dependence on you will always lead to blessing. That takes so many different areas. But God, for everybody who has a past that looks like the 420 building pulverized, laying in, in heaps, God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are the one who rebuilds broken things and puts purpose where purpose feels gone. And so God, I ask that you would do that today. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus whose sacrifice allows us to come to you. 
so that we can be rebuilt in your name. God, we ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.